So hello everybody. Welcome to Psilocybin Mushrooms for Regenerative Society. Uh, my name is Stephen Reed. Uh, I'm the founder of the Psychedelic Society. Uh, I'm a scientist by training. I studied physics and then complexity sciences. Uh, then went into the world of climate activism, worked for a bunch of different NGOs, including Greenpeace, 350.org. Uh, and at some point during that era, I discovered psychedelics. I had my first psychedelic experience with 2CB at Shambhala Festival and became fascinated with those substances from that point. Uh, so, and so mushrooms only came a little bit later for me, actually, but I, I certainly appreciate that there's an extra kind of magic when the, the psychoactive substance you're ingesting uh, is is a living being, or at least has come from a living being. Um, so psilocybin mushrooms have a uh, yeah, very special place in my heart, in my life, in my mind uh, in these days. So we'll just start with a show of hands of who has taken psilocybin mushrooms before. Okay, wicked. <laughs> About 80% of people. Um, and, okay, uh, who thinks psilocybin mushrooms have encouraged them to change their behavioural attitudes towards climate and environment. Yeah, some, some not. Um, and finally, who has met someone new today at Funny Fest? Oh, that's pretty good. But this is, for me, this is always one of the, the most exciting parts of these kind of festivals. So, just in, in 60 seconds, I'm just going to invite you to turn to the person like behind or around you, someone that you don't know, uh, and introduce yourself, and maybe say something about uh, your, your experiences with psilocybin, or if you haven't yet tried psilocybin mushrooms, uh, why not? <laughs> or, or, or whether you have any plans to, yeah. So I'll just give you 60 seconds to do that before we get going. Yeah. Um, so, what, I'm, what am I going to talk about today? What are psilocybin mushrooms? What is a regenerative society? Why do we need a regenerative society? How can psilocybin mushrooms help? And a vision for the future. Um, so, what are psilocybin mushrooms? Uh, I mean, it depends how far back you want to go, how deep you want to take this question. And I thought, uh, let's answer that question by going, yeah, all the way back, all the way back to the Big Bang. Uh, so 13.8 billion years ago, uh, 10 to the minus 12 seconds after the Big Bang, that raw seeding mass of energy, or whatever it was at that stage, cooled into quarks, which are the smallest known subatomic constituents. Uh, 10 to the minus 11 seconds after the Big Bang, we had the first protons and neutrons form. It took around 100,000 years for the first molecules to come together. And it wasn't until 150 million years after the beginning of the known universe that we had the first stars. Uh, 4.6 billion years ago, so switching to a different time frame now, now talking about time ago rather than after the Big Bang, uh, our own sun formed. Uh, and it wasn't until about 60 million years later that the Earth formed after the sun. Um, 3.5 billion years ago saw the emergence of, of life on Earth. So it took about a billion years of, 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 uh, of the Earth having formed for life to appear. Um, and another, well, at least another 300 million years have photosynthetic life on Earth. Uh, 
The split between plants and animals in the tree of life uh, occurred, I only recently discovered this, 1.547 billion years ago by the best estimate right now. Uh, and at that point, plants on one hand and animals and fungi on the other. So animals and fungi are actually more closely related to one another than either of us are to plants. Um, and then the split between fungi and animals occurred 1.538 billion years ago. So there was um, a period that we could say we're more closely related to fungi than plants by about 9 million years. Um, psilocybin mushrooms, I understand, are only involved in the last 10 to 20 billion years. Uh, psilocybin speculated was uh, evolved because it dampens uh, the appetite of insects. This is relatively new research uh, and is intended to put insects off nibbling too much of, uh, too much of the, the mushroom. Um, so let's see, uh, modern Homo sapiens 300,000 years ago, we've been behaviorally modern for about 50,000 years. Uh, agriculture popped up about 10,000 years ago. And more or less from that point, there is some recorded use, ritual use of psilocybin mushrooms by humans. There are some cave paintings in both uh, Spain and Algeria dating from around that time, not long after that time, that suggest humans had started using psilocybin mushrooms for so-called entheogenic purposes. So, oh, yeah, you missed a couple of cool things on, on psilocybin mushrooms as it skips over and there's around, there's more than 200 species of, of psilocybin mushroom. Um, few ones that are particularly well known and cultivated by humans is uh, the Psilocybicumensis, the, the Liberty Caps in this country, the Wavy Caps also growing all over recreation grounds in Tottenham. I, don't, I discovered that a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, yet, yeah, fascinatingly, it's, it's, scientists speculate that uh, the gene set for synthesizing psilocybin actually passed between mushrooms through horizontal gene transfer, which is quite an unusual form of passing DNA, usually found in bacteria. But the, the different types of mushrooms that do produce psilocybin are actually not, are not very alike. Um, so this, this is one of the pieces of evidence that suggests that horizontal gene transfer was, was involved. Um, so there you go, that's your introduction to psilocybin mushrooms in the, in the sort of cosmic history. Um, what is a regenerative society? So, uh, we might compare a regenerative society to a degenerative society, or self-terminating society, if you take, a, you take the degeneration to its conclusion. We almost also might compare regenerative to sustainable. Um, and some other words which, which help me with that, you might think of degenerative as depleting something, sustainable as maintaining something, regenerative as encouraging something. So what exactly are we talking about encouraging in the context of regenerative society? Well, I think at its core we're talking about encouraging the complexity and diversity of life on Earth. That's, that's to me what I, you know, or what I mean when I talk about regenerative society. And the, the two basic conditions, well, actually for sustainability, for a sustainable society even, but certainly for a regenerative one, you might say, are that it's that we that we've closed the loops and it's appropriately rate limited. Uh, now, depending on how uh, you know 
how far out you take your view of space and time, all, all loops end up closed. But uh, at least on uh, human timescales, um, and then uh, closed loops, it's, we're talking about that we're not, we, we've basically eliminated this, this idea of, of, of waste, trash, throwing away. There is no away, newsflash. I mean, you, most of you probably understand that here, but a regenerative society doesn't throw things away. It understands that, uh, that all wastes must be the input for some other ecological process. And it's appropriately rate limited. What does that mean? I mean, uh, a regenerative society, in my view, seeks to uh, it, it eliminate, as far as possible, the, reuse, the use of all non-renewable resources and the dumping of any wastes which are not able to be processed in the environment on anything like a human timescale. At the very least, you would say you would deplete non-renewable resources no faster than you could discover renewable alternatives. Um, and then for renewable resources, yeah, we're only using them, consuming them as fast as they are able to replenish themselves. And uh, it, <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that uh, we're not. We, our, our current society is a, is a degenerative one. It is a depleting one. That by no means are we meeting those two conditions in, in all kinds of areas of industry and agriculture. So yeah, the, I think the, the difference between a sustainable society and a regenerative society is actually quite interesting. And and. Uh, one, one thing that I thought of, and actually I would appreciate your thoughts on, that, on this topic later, is that regenerative society, what is, whilst it's aware of the maximum rates it can uh, consume and, and harvest and, and use natural resources, it deliberately chooses to not push it all the way up to the limit and, and leave some of that for other purposes, other species even perhaps. So there's a core ecological dimension for me, of a regenerative society, but we might also talk about a society being economically regenerative, spiritually regenerative even, and there can certainly be other forms of regeneration. Um, just a note on, that, on a, an economically regenerative society, it has some, um, I, when I put it into those three boxes, there's some, there's some quite interesting parallels with different uh, forms of, of, of interest on money. I would argue that uh, positive interest on money, which is the, money, the case for most of the money that we have in the world right now, actually is a, corresponds to a uh, degenerative society. Interest makes money dead. It encourages people to hoard money and not spend it. Um, you might say zero interest society is that, is that threshold, uh, that sustainability. And then there's this idea of demurrage. Anyone come across demurrage? Yes. So it's, it's, ne it's negative interest. So the idea that money, a stock of money loses its value over time. So if you're, if you're aware that you've got 10 quid, but by the end of the day it's only going to be worth 9, the sensible thing to do with it is spend it as soon as possible. So by adopting this, uh, this, this, uh, this demurrage paradigm where money loses its value, which is actually nature-inspired, right? It's, it's, it's as if uh, everything in nature decays. If money also decayed, we would see... Uh, or people will be used to the idea that money only has value when you're using it, when you're spending it on stuff, rather than simply like keeping it and trying to use it for your own protection and security. 
which I think is a rather shallow notion of security, but it's, that's, it's, that's become quite deeply embedded in our society. Okay, uh, where should we go next? So why do we need a regenerative society? I mean, uh, really what we're asking there is, uh, why does it matter if life on Earth continues? Hmm. Um, it's, it's an interesting question, not least in the context that in about 10 to the, so going to the, the end of the universe now, we started from the beginning, in about 10 to the power 100 years time, uh, uh, the, even every proton in your body, which is the most stable subatomic particle there is, will have broken down into quarks again. So even, and we'll, we will just be left with, which is the, which are the constituent of protons themselves. Uh, what's more, all of the heat in the universe will have evenly spread out, and we will just be left, scientists believe, with this totally uniform black sea of quarks. Everything is breaking down, everything is decaying, even at the most fundamental level. So given that everything shall surely die, I mean like, does it matter if life on Earth continues another million years, billion years, hundred billion, you know, who cares? Well, I think you care, and I certainly care, yeah. And, but I think it, it's a, it's a, I do believe it's a very personal uh, contemplation, if you like, and it's up to each of us maybe to play with some of those kinds of thought experiments and to internalise the deep truth of impermanence, which is a teaching found in, you know, in uh, wisdom traditions all across the world and decide for ourselves that yeah, it is worth getting out of bed in the morning and hugging a tree or whatever it is that you might be able to do that day. Um, how can psilocybin mushrooms help? Well, first we maybe need to que question a little bit more about like, well, the, 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 or acknowledge the different ways in which they can help. Uh, psilocybin mushrooms uh, can be looked at as medicines. Probably most people here are aware of the amazing research that's going on in places like Imperial College London and Johns Hopkins University uh, studying psilocybin for a treatment uh, for depression, for anxiety, for OCD, for PTSD, for all kinds of debilitating mental health conditions and they're producing amazing results. It's looking increasingly likely that maybe as soon as 2021 uh, psilocybin medicines will be available you know, by prescription from, from, uh, from GPs for some of these conditions. Um, that's enormously exciting. But it's not the full story. Um, psilocybin mushrooms can be considered entheogens. Are you familiar with this word entheogen? Hands up if you've heard this word entheogen before. Oh, very good. Oh, some, awesome. So, it's actually uh, the word uh, psychedelic, uh, which literally means uh, mind revealing, or sometimes soul revealing. That psyche is variously translated as mind and soul in the Greek. Uh, came about, I think it was in the 50s, um, and the word entheogen, only sometime later, I think in the 70s, maybe even early 80s. Uh, so entheogen means, uh, literally means finding God within. And uh, I, th I think it's quite, so the, the difference between psychedelic and entheogenic, or psychedelics and entheogens is, is subtle, but I think actually quite 
useful in Portland. Um, psychedelic has come, is, is relatively context free. Um, I should say that, that yeah, they basically are referring to the same class of substances, of plants, if you like, mushrooms. But yeah, with the word psychedelic, it doesn't tell you too much about how that substance, plant mushroom, is going to be used. So a psychedelic trip could just as easily happen at Glastonbury Festival as it could in uh, you know, like a medicine hut deep in the Amazon in a very ritualistic setting. Um, when we talk about entheogens, uh, it's much more associated with ceremonial, ritual, deliberate use. You wouldn't so much, I mean, it's, uh, you, 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 can't, you can't so much accidentally have a, a, an entheogenic experience, perhaps. But there's, for, yeah, for me at least, there's something that, that uh, alludes to the, to the ritual ceremonial context, which I think is useful and important. Uh, the sacred context, you might even say. Um, so another way of understanding psilocybin mushrooms, probably the most far out of the three that ways that I'm going to suggest today, is as communication devices. Um, are they a way for human beings to actually enter into some kind of communication, conversation, dialogue with the, the fungal world? Some people think so. Some, in some various indigenous societies believe that to be the case. So, let's first talk about the, the, the use of entheogens. Psilocybin mushrooms, and actually entheogenic plants and mushrooms more generally, have this remarkable ability to reliably induce so-called mystical spiritual type experiences. Now, the, the concept of mystical spiritual type experience was actually invented, came about in the field of psychology of religion, outside of the realm of psychedelics, because some people have these experiences just walking down the street and then, boom, something happens and it forever changes their life. Um, uh, so it has this, at least in the, in the original sense, it had this six-fold criteria, a sense of unity and interconnectedness, a sense of sacredness, a sense of uncovering some, or some deeper truth about reality, uh, a sense of peace and joy, a sense of transcending time and space, and finally, a sense of ineffability, that there remains something about the experience which is difficult or even impossible to put into words. So if someone has an experience, any kind of experience, whether in, involving plants, mushrooms or, or otherwise, where they, feel, where they felt a number of these characteristics in a profound way, then we could say they've had a mystical, spiritual type experience. Arguably, the, the, the most common and most, and, and kind of the basis for that experience is this, this sense of unity and interconnectedness of all things. And people describe that happening on different levels, like feeling a sense of profound connection to people around them in the room, or it might be to the land that they're on, it might be to the planet itself, or it might even be to the universe and, and all that they know and believe exists. Uh, and it's... Uh, It's that sense which uh, often, well, is, is the correlated in peer-reviewed studies with uh, shifts in people's attitudes towards nature. If people start to believe they are uh, at one with nature, that they are at some level 
there, there, isn't, there is no separation between themselves and the natural world, uh, it, it encourages them to pro-environmental behaviour, to, to take care of the, our living planet as if it were themselves. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that uh, I've, I'm, I'm fascinated and by these substances. I think they can be extremely useful at this time of climate and ecological crisis. And over the past, well, year actually, more or less now, uh, Gail Brabrook, the co-founder of Extinction Debate, and I have done a number of public conversations on the topic psychedelics, extinction, and social change, where we've been musing on the potential use of psychedelics, and particularly psilocybin mushrooms, to induce some kind of ecological awakening in society. And the man right down here at the front, Sam Gandhi, will be telling you more about that very soon, I believe. Three minutes, wow, okay. Time flies. Um, hmm. So, also connected to that, these profound entheogenic experiences, is a, a steep sense of mystery of people realizing, wow, there's way more going on out there in this life, in this reality, than I knew before. Uh, and that also, I think, is quite uh, important at this time, this, in the Anthropocene, in this time of climate crisis, when it seems, if we're honest, and, it's, and I think it's important to do the reading and, and, and realize that we're in a really, really fucking bad situation. And it seems like whatever we're going to do now, billions of people are going to die early, early, you know, earlier than <laughs> possibly hoped and expected. And things are going to get very, very tough for many, many people on this planet, no matter what we do. Um, despite that, these kind of entheogenic experiences teach us that there's more going on than meets the eye, there's, and there's more going on than current science can explain. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, because these psychedelic entheogenic experiences with psilocybin mushrooms uh, you know, allow us to understand that science is incomplete, that does not mean we should then go and ignore <laughs> the, science, the climate science. However, for me and for many people, it does seem to just add something, give us that extra little bit of, dare I say, hope even maybe. Uh, and one way of understanding that is that, for me, in a, in, at least in a poetic sense, is that we're not alone, that humans deeply desire, well, increasing numbers of humans deeply desire and are taking action for the complexity and diversity of life on this planet, but uh, I have a sense that mushrooms, fungi, and plants, and all the rest of life on this planet also desires its continuation. And that's sometimes the sense that I get when I'm communing with mushrooms. They're like, come on, we've got to sort this shit out, otherwise we're all going to die. And uh, I think that you know, there, there are some powerful allies out there in ways that we don't usually uh, uh, contemplate or understand. Hmm. So I'll just end with yeah, a vision for the future for this uh, regenerative society involving psilocybin mushrooms. I think it's amazing all the research that's been done with psilocybin, and I hope it is available in medical context sooner rather than later. But uh, to get to 
experience their full entheogenic potential, we need new mystery schools, we need, we need new temples, we need places where people can take psilocybin mushrooms in, in deliberate ways for, for spiritual purposes, for mysterious purposes. Uh, and this is, I mean, it's only actually been for the last uh, couple of thousand years that we've been, maybe even less than that, that we've been missing such institutions. For the vast majority of human history, they have had mystery cults and mystery schools and so on, and that seems to me like a very important missing piece to, to reclaim in our civilization. Um, people are familiar with Aldous Huxley's novel Island. He wrote Brave New World, which was a bit of a dystopia. Island was the more utopian one. And there he describes, he talks about the moksha medicine, um, which sounds a lot like psilocybin mushrooms. And uh, young adults, I think when they're 18, they, I think they take them, I think they're actually, they take themselves, there's no teacher that goes with them. They take themselves up a mountain and, and, and co-create a ceremony involving the moksha medicine uh, as a kind of coming of age ritual. And is that so crazy? I mean, what, what do kids do when they're 18 nowadays? They sort of like go and get wasted, like the nearest pub. I think it's like doing a co-created psilocybin ceremony sounds like a much better idea to me than, than anything that we currently, you know, accept. Um, but this, I, I hope in the future there is a lot more uh, growing of psilocybin mushrooms. And actually this, this doesn't have to, this is, this is possible right now. Uh, despite the draconian drug laws in this country, it is legal. Psilocybin spores are legal. Uh, uh, well, let's say at least for microscopy purposes. <laughs> so often you find them sold on the websites that also sell microscopes. I'm not sure how many microscopes they ever sell, but it's, you know, like, it makes legal sense to like put some available there just to cover their backs. But you can le you can legally order psilocybin spores to your home. Uh, who here uh, dares to admit that they've grown psilocybin mushrooms? Yeah. I, I think in, in this time of ecological crisis, this becomes almost like, uh, for me, like a moral imperative and, a, and, a, and, a, and it's an activist uh, act, if you like. Yeah. I think anyone that has the ability and the, the privilege, actually, and both in, you know, in money and also race and class and all the rest of it to be able to grow psilocybin mushrooms in a way which means that they probably aren't going to get caught and they, they aren't they aren't going to create any significant trouble in their lives i think should be doing that uh, yeah as much as we should be out on the streets with extinction rebellion tomorrow morning which i will be yeah anyone else again extinction rebellion tomorrow yeah a few cool there's still time um so uh yeah i just i just end with that 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 reminder and that uh and planting that, that seed, planting that spore, that we, that we have an incredible opportunity to, to just be getting on with this stuff. We don't need a change in the law, we just need to get our shit together and start ordering those spores and educating ourselves with the, very, with the really rather basic knowledge of how to, to do this. And in fact, you can actually buy like super simple to use grow kits. Um, so couple, there's mushbuddies.com and psilocybe uh, with C, C-Y-L-O-C-Y-B-E.com. I think it's .com, you can Google them anyway, which are my two, two favorite places to purchase the spores and the appropriate growing kit. Um, and, uh, 
I mean, let me know how you get on. Send me an email, send me, like, send me a photo of your psilocybin mushrooms and tell me something about your trip. Um, they, they, are, you know, they are extremely powerful substances. They absolutely should be used with extreme care and caution in an entheogenic setting, as I've you know, attempted to describe. Um, so please be careful. Uh, uh, so, but, but do take them. <laughs> um, uh, thank you, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>